How are you thankful? Can you be thankful even when life isn't going well? How can being thankful improve your life? Welcome to episode 180 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Greg. He used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Greg, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. I have a reading from the book How Al-Anon Works. This is from Chapter 10. Chapter 10 is titled Changed Attitudes. The section from which I took this reading is titled Gratitude. Actively practicing gratitude is one way we can promote attitude adjustment. Instead of taking for granted the many blessings in our lives, we make a point to mentally acknowledge them until doing so becomes a habit. Writing them down in a gratitude list and then reading the list to our sponsor or sharing it with other Al-Anon members helps us realize that there are many things in our lives for which we are truly grateful. In times of distress, we may see little for which to be thankful. But if we make the effort, we are certain to find a few and thereby shed some light on an otherwise dreary view. Sometimes it helps to start with our most basic or immediate needs, food on the table, a roof over our heads, and clothing. We may then find that we are grateful for more modest incidents and gestures, kind words, Al-Anon friends, a bit of humor in an otherwise serious situation, a moment of serenity or an indication that we are beginning to heal. Gratitude enables us to savor the unrecognized good that surrounds us, no matter what the circumstances. As we become accustomed to noticing the positive aspects of our lives, we begin to recognize small, subtle gifts and cloaked opportunities when they appear in our day-to-day experience. Eventually, As we continue to practice, we actually do find something to be grateful for, even in painful or difficult situations. We replace our victim mentality with an attitude of gratitude. Instead of feeling drained, overwhelmed, and stressed by the circumstances we encounter, we begin to feel empowered and capable of coping, even flourishing, because we have learned that our higher power can use every situation, every relationship, every experience to enhance our lives and foster strength-faced and personal growth. Thus, Everyone and everything has a special gift to offer us. We need only open our eyes to see it. So as I approach the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday, my thoughts naturally turn to thankfulness, because this is a time in which we traditionally give thanks for the things that we have, the things that we've experienced in in the past year or so, and the things that may be yet to come. It's also a holiday which for many of us who live with an alcoholic or perhaps have alcoholics in our family, can be stressful as we we gather with our dysfunctional family or we choose not to gather with our dysfunctional family. I have found it in those times useful and helpful to take some time to focus on the things that I am grateful for in the moment, in the day, in the week, in the year, in my life. That attitude of gratitude, as it says in the reading, really can change the way I experience situations that might otherwise be painful. The chapter in How Al-Anon Works on Attitudes actually opens with a quote from the play Hamlet by Shakespeare. 
And we find there this bit of conversation between Hamlet and Rosencrantz. Hamlet has just remarked that Denmark is a prison, and Rosencrantz said he doesn't find it so. Hamlet says, why then? Tis none to you, for there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. To me, it is a prison. Rosencrantz responds, why then? Your ambition makes it one. Tis too narrow for your mind. Hamlet, O God, I could be bounded in a nutshell and count myself a king of infinite space, were it not that I have bad dreams. And in just a few lines there, I feel that Shakespeare really captures this question of how we see things and how the way in which we see things affects our lives. Because Hamlet in the in the first line says, there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And to me, it is a prison. And so he is seeing, he is seeing his life in Denmark as a prison that he can't escape from, that, that he must live his life within these confines. But then a couple lines later, he sort of reverses that and says, I could be bounded in a nutshell and count myself a king of infinite space. Were it not that I have bad dreams. And so there he's sort of turning it around and saying, well, I, I, my thinking is constrained. My, I have bad dreams. My, I, I think about all the things that are, that are wrong. And so I can't count. I can't be a king of infinite space. If I didn't have bad dreams, if I could change my attitude, I could just, I could be inside this little nutshell and still feel king of the universe in effect, and still feel free. I have certainly found that there is truth in in that statement. There is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And you know, don't we all have bad dreams at times? Taking that perhaps as a metaphor for the things that, that, that are not going the way we'd like in our lives, the things that are causing us pain, Right now, the things that caused us pain in the past or that we fear will call us, cause us pain in the future. Those are our bad dreams. I honestly believe in, and I have found that cultivating gratitude, that, that being thankful can help to drive away those bad dreams. So I want to sort of dive into these paragraphs about gratitude from the book, How Al-Anon Works, and see how those might relate to incidents in my life. And hopefully you can relate them to incidents in your life. It starts by saying, actively practicing gratitude is one way we can promote attitude adjustment. Instead of taking for granted the many blessings in our lives, we make a point to mentally acknowledge them until doing so becomes a habit. So I don't know about you, but I know that I often don't notice when things are going well, but I certainly do notice when things are not going well. And to turn that around, uh, I have had people in my life say to me statements like, you always do this bad thing. And I can say, no, I don't. I, I do that rarely. I do, I do this good thing that is the opposite of that bad thing more often. And the point there is not whether I am good or not. The point there is, and I'm sure that I've said this, but I notice it when people say it to me, right? So that's the way I, that's the way I hear it. They're not noticing the times when I, when I didn't do the bad thing or when I did 
the opposite of the bad thing. They're, because those those are the times. That's the that's the behavior that they assume I should be making. That they expect I should be making. And so when it happens, it meets their expectations, and they don't notice it. And as the book says, instead of taking for granted the many blessings in our lives, you know, I take for granted that. I will have heat in my house when it's a cold day out as it is today. I take for granted that I can have food to eat. I take for granted that when I wake up in the morning, the sun will come up. I don't consciously think about the fact that that I have these things. But when they're not there, when I get up in the morning and it's cloudy and raining, then I notice that the sun is not there. And certainly when the furnace stops working, I notice that it's getting colder in the house and I actively work to fix it. What we're suggesting here then is that not only don't I notice the good things, but I also I also tend to dwell on the bad things. I tend to dwell on the things that didn't go right. You know, I got up this morning and it's cloudy and raining. That's the thing I notice, not that I'm warm and dry inside my house. The book is telling us to actively notice these things that are good. And this will help us to cultivate this practice of thankfulness, of gratitude. It continues writing them down in a gratitude list and then reading the list to our sponsor or sharing it with other Al-Anon members helps us realize that there are many things in our lives for which we are truly grateful. I don't remember the first time I heard somebody suggest making a gratitude list as a way to to get out of a funk. But I did pick it up, I think, fairly early in my time in the program when, you know, things were still not going well in my life. And I could start to think of five things. I could think of five things that I was grateful for. And by the time I got to the end of those five things, I was feeling a little better. I used this tool many times to get to sleep. And here I'm not sharing the list with anybody but myself and maybe my higher power. When I'm lying there and my mind's going a million miles a minute, thinking about all the stuff that's that's going wrong, that has gone wrong, that might go wrong, those are the worst. Because there's there's nothing I can do about them, right? They haven't gone wrong yet. They haven't gone right either. I would do what's been called an alphabet gratitude list or an A to Z gratitude list. So I would start with the letter A and I would think of something that starts with the letter A that I'm grateful for. I might be grateful for, for apples because they're sweet and tart and, and crunchy and good to eat. And there are so many different kinds of apples that are available where I live. And then I'd move on to B. And I seem to be on a food kick here because the thing that comes to my mind for B is barbecue. I really like barbecue. So maybe I'm grateful that it exists. Maybe I'm grateful that I had some recently and it was really good. And so on through the alphabet. And my experience has been that I never get to the end of the alphabet before I fall asleep. That that just focusing on things that I'm thankful for in my life, things that are good in my life, things that I enjoy in my life. It doesn't have to be big fancy things. It doesn't have to be the things you're most grateful for, just thinking of things that you're grateful for, things that you can be thankful for, things that I can be thankful for, helps me to get to sleep. And when I use that tool to go to sleep, I have inevitably had a restful sleep 
with good dreams. So why don't I do it every night? I don't know, because it's work. Good question, Spencer. Why don't you do it every night? A couple of years ago, I woke up early on Thanksgiving morning. The rest of the house was asleep. And I went downstairs and I made myself a cup of coffee and probably had something to eat. I don't remember. And I sat in a chair in the living room by the window and I looked outside. And I think it was actually a, a, a sunny fall day. Still some colorful leaves. And I thought, well, what am I going to do with my time? And instead of picking up a computer game or a book to read, I thought, I'm going to write a list of things that I'm grateful for in my life, A through Z. I wrote this I wrote this list. I wrote it and I posted it on Facebook. And for each of the things in the list, you know, C, I'm grateful for my children because they bring joy and energy into my life. For each of those things in the list, not only did I say I'm grateful for, but I said a little something about why I was grateful. And I have to say that well before I got to the end of the list, I had this this feeling of well-being, this feeling of warmth, this feeling of love that both I was loved and that I could love. And I know that this came from just writing down things I was grateful for. And last year, if I'm remembering correctly, I did the same thing, and I think I made it a podcast episode. I think I did. I don't know. Go back and look at, look back and, and let's, let's take a look actually. Hang on. Okay. So I went and looked. I did not make it a podcast episode, but I did post it on the website as, as a blog post. So I will put a link back to that list from 2015 uh, in this episode at therecoveryshow.com slash 180. And you can go look at it if you want. More from the book. Gratitude enables us to savor the unrecognized good that surrounds us, no matter what the circumstances. As we become accustomed to noticing the positive aspects of our lives, we begin to recognize small, subtle gifts and cloaked opportunities when they appear in our day-to-day experience. I think I want to illustrate this with a, a story that happened maybe about a year, not even a year, after I had come into al It was a day in the winter, and my loved one had relapsed and was drinking again. And I went to a meeting that evening. And before the meeting, I was talking with a friend and I was complaining about how horrible things were because she had relapsed and so on and so on. And my friend stopped me and said, did anything good happen today? And I paused and I reflected and I said, well, yes, actually. I went and got a massage and that was good. And when I came home, I looked around and it was a bright sunny day and the snow was so sparkly. It was really pretty. And now I'm here. And this is good. And just that simple question, because I wasn't ready to remember that I had to ask myself that question. The fact that that my friend in the program knew to ask me that question stopped my pity party. And it brought me a little bit of warmth, a little bit of joy. And in fact, I was in a totally different place emotionally for the rest of the evening as I went into the meeting and, and, and came home. You know, I was no longer bemoaning my, my terrible fate. I was feeling okay. And, you know, to go from life sucks to okay, 
Not a bad thing, you know? In fact, it's a pretty good thing. So you may have heard me tell this story before. I'm sure I've told it before on the podcast, but I just remember this story so vividly because it totally, that experience totally changed my attitude in that moment. And it made it so clear to me that a lot of my attitude can be of my own making and that I can choose to take actions that will change it. Back to the book. Eventually, as we continue to practice, we actually do find something to be grateful for, even in painful or difficult situations. We replace our victim mentality with an attitude of gratitude. When I read this, I thought back to the time when my child had been confined in a psych ward as a potential danger to themselves or other. And I had to fly across the country to, to be with them as they as they tried to reconstruct a life in the face of challenges, in the face of challenges such as having to move out of their, their dorm room because their ex had taken out a restraining order, having to find a new place to live, a challenge of getting readmitted to, to school because they had been suspended from school because of their actions. I was, I was just beside myself when this happened. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I went to a meeting and I cried. And then I got on a plane and I flew across the country and, and just for a while I just put one foot in front of the other. So this child had been, had been oppositional, had been grumpy, sullen, when they went off to college after high school, just were so glad to get out of our house, and we were so glad for them to get out of our house. And things had started to improve. In the week that I was there, where, where I provided for my child the things they could not do for themselves, a place to sleep, food to eat, transportation, and, and they did the things they had to do. And at the end of that week, they gave me a big hug, and said, I'm so glad you came. In the middle of that painful, that difficult situation, I found a new connection to my child, maybe a reconnection. And we both became much closer. We, we tore down that, that wall that had been built a few years before. And I've seen this happen, and this has happened in, in other times in my life, something that, that was very painful at the time also contained within it some good in the future. So also during, during that week that I spent with my child, it was not all about fixing their life. In particular, we had a, had a weekend. I think I got there on Thursday. They met with the school counselor on Friday. And then we had a weekend, well, before we might hear the decision. And I have to admit that, that there was a little bit of time during that weekend when I was dwelling on the situation, when I actually, I think, called and left a message on the counselor's office phone saying, hey, what's up? And they, the counselor ignored me, which was probably appropriate because I was stepping outside of my boundary. Anyway, but during that, during that weekend, we did some fun stuff together. We went for a, a hike in a park went to a, a art exhibit. We did a lot of things. We did a number of things, you know, and we, we were able to enjoy the time that we had, even though we were in the middle of this situation that we really 
didn't know how it was going to turn out. We didn't know if there was going to be, as it were, a happy ending. Um, and, you know, it was good. It was, it was bad, and, but there was good in it. And because, I think because of the practice that I had in this program, I was able to let go of what was happening during the time when I couldn't do anything about it and enjoy what I could do, you know? So moving on in the book, instead of feeling drained, overwhelmed, and stressed by the circumstances we encounter, we begin to feel empowered and capable of coping, even flourishing, because we have learned that our higher power can use every situation, every relationship, every experience to enhance our lives and foster strength, faith, and personal growth. Thus, everyone and everything has a special gift to offer us. A few years ago, I had spent a good part of the summer worrying about my mother's health and not wanting to go see her because I just was so afraid that I would see her getting weaker and weaker. And I didn't want to do that. And that is one of my reactions to fear is to sort of stick my head in the sand and not acknowledge what's happening. But I realized that, and again, the program helped me here, both reading, praying and meditating, talking to friends, that I only have however much time is left to spend any time with with her. And if I don't spend time with her because I'm afraid I'm going to lose her, which is really at the bottom of this, I'm afraid I'm going to lose her, which will happen. I could, I could lose her without having spent that time. I had an opportunity to go a little bit out of my way on a trip and see my parents. And I, I honestly considered not doing it. I honestly considered just driving straight on by and t- instead of taking that detour. But I, I realized, no, this is something I really have to do and something that, that in a way I want to do. I took some time before the visit to prepare myself, to prepare my attitude to understand that it was not, that visiting with her was really not so much about me. It was about us. And so I, I told myself that on this visit, I was going to look for the positive. I was going to let go of my fears and, and just enjoy the time that we had together. I got to the place we were going to meet. We actually had agreed to meet at one of their favorite restaurants and have dinner before I came to their house because that was more convenient in terms of where I was coming from, where the restaurant was, etc. And I got there a little bit early. They arrived. My mother was not not moving real fast. She had a had a walker uh, and had to move, you know, sort of just a few inches at a time sometimes. I got into the restaurant. And this restaurant was built in an old house and so was kind of a little bit constrained space uh, and lots of corners and stuff and tables really close together and for whatever reason they had set up our table sort of as far from the entrance as it could be it was through a couple of rooms and out onto a porch and around a corner on the porch and all the way to the end of the porch where is is where they put our table and so you know my mother just kept kind of shuffling along and all the people in the restaurant, people had to get out of her way so she could get through with her walker. And, and, and maybe this was partly my attitude, my preparation of, 
I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy what, what there is there. But it, it felt like, you know, everybody was sort of smiling at her and, and gracefully and gratefully getting out of her way, not grumpily. And I bet that if I had come into that situation with, with a negative attitude that I would have seen it very differently. And so we had dinner and her, her short-term memory in particular is not as good as, as, as it always had been. Um, some sign of dementia or something there. And I think, I think she ordered her meal. And then when it came, she was surprised at what it was because she didn't remember she'd ordered it. And this is the sort of behavior that could just really, really trigger my fear. But because I had done my work ahead of time, I had, you know, done my prayer and meditation and, and sort of set my attitude. I didn't go to the fear place. I didn't go to the anger place because that's where the fear takes me is the anger, the anger at the world, the anger at, at the fact that she's not the person she was when I was young. And it was a really good visit. I know that it was a really good visit because I had taken the time to find the positive and I know that, that I grew from that because it made it easier for me to accept accept what is in in my mother and to to be with her as she is, not to want to be with her as she was. You know, I had to go through a little bit of pain to get there, but I'm grateful for it because it enables me to be there, to enjoy the time I spend with her. That just brings me to the last sentence of the reading, which says, we need only open our eyes to see it. And all throughout my time in the program, I've been encouraged to open my eyes, whether it was my friend asking me if anything good happened, whether it was that that voice of maybe my higher power telling me, no, you do need to stop and see your parents, and and all the other things that have happened, where I'm able to find gratitude, whether it seems like a, a situation that I could be grateful in or not, I can still find something, or a lot of things. And it gets easier and easier. And that's the other thing that, that I think comes from this reading is that by practicing this attitude of gratitude, by practicing it on small things, it's easier to then use it for the big things, to use it in the times when we really don't feel like there's anything positive at all. I wanted to end with, well, this is a quote. This is a quote from our daily reader, Hope for Today. It's the quote from January 23rd, which is a reading about gratitude. The quote comes from the Alateen Just for Today book, which I don't have, so I don't know where in that book it's found. It says, Just for today, I will smile. I will be grateful for what I have instead of concentrating on what I don't have. And as Hamlet said, there is neither good nor bad, but thinking makes it so, which is another way of saying the same thing, I think. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our life in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And actually, because of various circumstances, I actually didn't make it to any meetings this week. How's that? Oops. On Saturday, we had a gathering at, at church. 
We're in the process of searching for a new minister because our, our minister retired. And this is a process that we follow, that we have a period of interim with a minister who is there explicitly to help guide us through the process of, of finding a new minister. Part of this process is finding who we are now. And after doing that, then who do we want to have to lead us as we go forward? Lead, guide, something. The meeting the other day was was the, sort of the first step in this process, and it was called, I forget exactly what it was called, but it was about sharing stories. And a number of us gathered around tables, and we were given some guiding questions about stories we could tell of our time in the congregation or stories that we knew about the congregation in the past. As you know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, I'm I'm a strong believer in the power of stories. And as our, our interim minister said, introducing this process, said, I could probably give the same sermon two weeks in a row and many people wouldn't notice. But if I told the same story two weeks in a row, you would all notice. And I think there's some truth there. I, I feel for me that stories reach in and grab me more than just descriptions of what should be, what could be, um, vague generalities or even specifics. But if, if, if I get a story, then it's a lot more meaningful. We can talk about our congregation being accepting, but when I hear from somebody who had felt excluded from so many things around them and when they came in the doors, they felt part of part of us. That just really grabs me a lot more strongly than this, yeah, so like it's so accepting here, you know. Um, so the power of stories. So we, we, we told each other stories and then um, we talked a little bit about what those stories said to us. And I know that there's going to be more and we're going to be building on this. So it was, it was, it was a good exercise, but it happened at the same time as my regular Saturday meeting, which is why I didn't make it to the Saturday meeting. And I don't know what happened on Sunday. I just, I was feeling tired and I didn't go. And that's, you know, that's probably one of those times when it really would have been a good idea for me to go to a meeting, but I didn't. So I didn't. But here I am. I can't remember if I talked about this like last week. I don't think I did. Last Sunday, a week ago. Um, so I'm teaching, teaching in the seventh grade at church. And there was a lot of sort of stress and feelings one way or another, about the way the election came out in the U.S. Because it was, a, you know, it was a very divisive election. There were a lot of bad things said on both sides, a lot of strong disagreement, and that may be putting it mildly, um, between, between the two camps, the two parties in the election. And so whether it came out the way you wanted it to or the way you didn't want it to, there was still this sort of, either you, you know, maybe were really disappointed, really sad, really upset, really um, maybe in fear of what's going to happen, or you know, you're you're really happy, or maybe um, maybe you you didn't like either outcome, and so you would have been unhappy either ways. I, I you know, um, but in any case, I said I said to my fellow teachers, I said, let's just let's give a space here where we can all adults and youth. We can just share how we're feeling. 
I didn't really want to make it a political discussion. I just wanted it to be about how we are and how we can be together and how we can be supportive of each other. And um, that, that was, you know, sort of a big, like asking a lot, I guess. But what happened was, and I, I, I modeled, I modeled it really on sort of what happens in a meeting. I said, let's, let's each just share our own experience, our own feelings, um, our own joys, our own fears about what, what happened this week in the election. And I'd like to ask that you don't interrupt. I'd like to ask that you don't respond to what somebody said, that you don't come in on what somebody said. Just share your own, your own experience, your own feelings. Very familiar sounding words there. I'm sure if you've been to a meeting a few times. And amazingly, you know, we're talking 12 and 13 year old kids here, maybe even 11, I don't know, eighth grade, seventh grade, 12, nominally 12 years old. Um, it worked. They really did. And, and they really engaged. And, and I'm surprised because I have heard from these kids that like they don't, they don't like sitting still and talking for a long time. They want to get up and be doing something. They got a lot of energy and they put that energy into talking about what was going on. I thought we might spend maybe 20 minutes. We spent our whole time together, an hour and a quarter, maybe plus talking. And, and we spent some more time this Sunday sort of coming back and saying, saying to the group that we know that, that not everybody in the group agrees that not everybody has the same opinion on issues and that we all need to find a way to be in conversation, in respectful conversation, respecting the dignity of the people that we're in conversation with, whether we agree with them or not, and to, to bring them into our community. Um, and that was partly in reaction. I think one of the, one of the kids had gone home and, and really had felt almost attacked for some of the things that they said in the circle. And we wanted to bring you know, we didn't, we didn't talk about that explicitly. We just wanted to try to bring, bring things back, you know, into the purpose we're there for and, and into loving community. I'm, I'm really impressed with, with these kids that they're able to do this thing. It's pretty amazing. And of course, you know, they're also playful and snarky sometimes too, because they're kids. Hey, I know adults that are playful and smart, snarky, when maybe you're trying to do something serious. Um, and so that's also, you know, it's a, it's a good learning opportunity for me to find the th- what, what we were talking about, find, find the good, you know, maybe I want them, I want them to engage in a particular activity. I want them to, to take it seriously. And that's not where they are, but I can see that they are engaging. They're just not engaging the way I want them to. Okay. And so if I take myself out, if I take my ego out and just ask are we are we moving in together in a positive direction, even if it's not what I thought was the right direction? Then I can be satisfied with that. And just as a side note, I'm so glad I'm not like a public school teacher or probably even a private school teacher where there are certain things that have to be taught. Uh, the kids have to get them. They have to take those high stakes standardized tests and pass them. And otherwise, like I'm out of my job. I'm so glad that's not what I have to do. Um, that quote, teaching, unquote, in the the youth at church is really not about teaching as so much as guiding them to a deeper understanding of of life and hopefully of, of some of the topics that we're talking about. 
I know when I was working with the high school youth, I used to say, it doesn't really matter what we talk about as long as we have a, a meaningful discussion. And that almost always happened, even if we weren't talking about what we thought we were going to be talking about. All right, I think I've gone on enough about that, haven't I? Um, I am going to be visiting uh, my parents, uh, along with uh, seeing my sister and her fiancé, and both my children will be with us, and my wife will be visiting them over the Thanksgiving weekend. And so uh, I'm not going to be able to do a podcast that weekend. Next week, I will either put up an open talk or another best of episode. If you want to nominate an episode for best of, drop me an email or voicemail. Let me know. You can leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795, or you can send email to feedback at com. And all that information is on the website at com slash contact. The phone number, voicemail button, email address, it's all right there. We had a topic suggestion from a listener to talk about anger, and that has struck a chord. I've heard from from several people already saying, yes, it's a great topic. I'd like to contribute. I'd like to do the episode with you. And I haven't quite decided how I'm going to handle that because what I, what I don't know that I'm able to do is to engage with more than one person remotely. I can have more than one person in the studio, but having more than one person on a phone or Skype call is not something that I have done before. doesn't mean it's not possible. Um, I may end up having separate conversations with people and, and putting them together into a show. But if you have some experience, strength, and hope to share around your anger, maybe how it was, and if recovery has helped you to let go of your anger, your rage, as it did me, maybe you can share that with us, what happened, what it's like now. And we'll put together an episode on anger, maybe in two or three weeks. So again, we'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope about today's topic of being thankful or upcoming topic of anger or any other uh, topics that you'd like to hear about. Email feedback at com. phone 734-707-8795, or use the voicemail button on the website and talk to us from your computer. So in a moment, we'll look at your email and voicemail contributions I'll take a little break before that. Elizabeth emailed a topic suggestion. She writes, Hello, Spencer. Just wanted to say thank you for reading my last email. It means a lot to me to know that there really is someone on the other end. Here's Spencer interjecting. It means a lot to me to know that there's someone on the other end too, and I'm really glad to hear from you. Thanks for writing. Since I started listening, I've been working with an amazing sponsor and moving through the steps. My sponsor works the program according to the big book, which moves you through very quickly. While discussing my step work with some people who have been in Al-Anon longer than me, I have received what I perceive to be negative comments. While I know it is not always the way people go about their study, I have found it to be very good for me. I was wondering if you would consider doing an episode on Al-Anon Big Book Step Work. I know there are many Al-Anons that do go through their steps this way, and I would love to hear some other people's perspective on the topic. I would also be happy to help in any way I could to co-host or write my experience. Thank you again for all that you do. Your service is invaluable, Elizabeth. And thanks, Elizabeth, for that note. As you probably 
have heard if you've been listening for a while, I listen to a lot of Alan on Open Talks, and there does seem to be this sort of separation of opinion about the use of the big book in the Al-Anon program and the use of, of the big book step process in Al-Anon. And from my observation, people who came into the program maybe before there was a lot of literature, Al-Anon literature, that was the way they learned. Then they pass it on to the people they sponsor and so on. Uh, some people feel very strongly that the AA big book has no place in Al-Anon. That's their opinion. That's their feeling in you know, they'll say, well, right there in the tradition, it says, you know, we use Al-Anon approved literature. Well, that's actually in the discussion of, the, of one of the traditions, and I'm not remembering which one right now. It is possible that using outside literature dilutes the Al-Anon message. But we have, my opinion is, we have so much to learn from AA, from which we did adapt our program, from which we borrowed the 12 steps with permission, um, that ignoring the AA literature just makes our program poorer. The meeting that I started Al-Anon in and was my home group for many years explicitly voted in our group conscience to allow readings from the big book in our meeting. And I'm sure there are people who think that's that's a bad thing. But to address your, your question also, that you or your statement that you have found it to be effective for you, to me that's that's really the most important thing that Whatever way you can work the steps that gets you to active recovery is the way to do it for you. I guess now hopefully people will come out of the woodwork and say, oh yeah, I do that too. Or, oh wow, this is horrible and this is why. And then we can have an open discussion about it. Uh, Lorianne called with some voicemail. This is Lorianne. And I, again, I want to thank you so much for doing this show. I wanted to give a response to the last episode. Somebody raised a question about um, her relationship ending with her alcoholic and questioning if it makes sense for her to keep going to Al-Anon. And I, I would love to share my experience around that um, on a number of levels. And to me, that that's kind of where the journey has begun um, because as I've continued to go to meetings and, and work this whole process, I've learned it's about a relationship with myself. This is where it starts, and it's so much more than than just trying to juggle another person's drink, drinking. It's, it's not at all, and, and if if she is, I forgot her name, if she's going to meetings where the message seems to be that the sole purpose is to deal with someone else's drinking, um, I, I would suggest trying some other meetings because it, it goes so much deeper than that and it's healing that that's what Alan has done for me and I'm calling that emailing because I email all day long so thank you again yeah Lorian thanks for thanks for those comments um, I'm, I'm totally on board with with this that even if there is not active drinking as is true in my life I am still living with the alcoholic but there's not active drinking I'm still going to meetings because they're good for me it really doesn't have anything to do with the alcoholism that brought me here in the first place. Lorianne called back with a, a separate message about my Say What You Mean, Mean What You Say episode. Hi, this is Lorianne again. I wanted to leave a separate message, a uh, comment about the Say What You Mean, Mean What You Say episode. Something that you had shared, I thought it was also valuable. Particularly, you mentioned um, at times when you 
are agreeable to do something that necessarily what you want. You gave an example of, of like going out for your wife's birthday to a restaurant or something like that. I I can totally relate to that and, and what I what I have noticed is you you also mentioned intention and really getting in touch with what my intention and intention is is so helpful because otherwise if I don't do that, if I don't get in touch with a better part of myself to say Look, I really don't want to go here, but I want to gift this to so and so as as a sign of sharing, or or just understand what it is. If I don't get in touch with that part of myself, I'm going to walk away with a resentment. So it, it's so it's so important, and um, it, it is a part of giving, but that's not the same thing as just making a sacrifice and say and saying, yeah, I'll suck it up and just go there, just to keep so and so quiet. And another thing I wanted to add, for me, I've found that a lot of times I don't know how I feel and it's helpful to do the pause thing and maybe do a quick fourth step to try and figure out, well, where exactly do I stand on this and then speak my truth and and try my best to do it with kindness. Um, Thank you again for this episode. It was fantastic. And again, thanks for your contribution to the the conversation, Lorianne. Pat called with some thoughts about anger and how it worked in her life. Hey, Spencer. This is Pat from the West Coast. I haven't called in a while, but it's not that I haven't been listening. At the end of every episode, I'm thinking, I should know about this, or I should call about that. It is all so relatable. Just on the topic of creating boundaries, um, I do let people know sometimes that when when they're moving toward bigger boundaries, that they're enforcing, kind of have to be prepared for your loved ones to push back a little bit. And I think the reason is that when you're part of that mobile structure and you move from point A to point B and you're no longer complying with what the alcoholic wants or expects, when you don't react, you know, for example, when I quit reacting to purposeful statements that were made to get me to react, get me to make me be mad, and I think that kind of gave him the okay to drink, then I stopped doing that, he pushed harder, because I wasn't playing the game, it's kind of part of that merry-go-round called alcoholism pamphlet, you know, I wasn't playing the game by the rules that we'd been playing it by for so long, so he pushed back harder, trying to nudge me back into my old role in my old spot. And the same thing happened as I approached my divorce with him. It was really harsh for a while. And I think that that's just something for people to be aware of. doesn't mean it'll always be like that. Eventually, I think when we're consistent in our boundaries and our responses, then we can, the alcoholic eventually figures out that there's a change and then they stop acting on that particular event. For me, a lot of times it was simply walking out of the room when I could see that a conversation or a talk that he was giving to me was starting to deteriorate and wind down into, you know, into starting to poke me and starting to be critical and trying to get my gander up. I just say, you know, I can can see what's happening. It usually ends up in arguments, so I'm going to just walk out of the room if you need something, give me a call. Happy to come back. Let me know if you need anything. 
The other thing is um, I agree with you, with your advice to a woman who wanted to put an expectation on her husband that he would stop drinking before she would go to uh, therapy with him. And I think that is kind of a chicken and egg situation. And I would encourage her to go to therapy as open as she can be. Sometimes we have to protect ourselves and we have to limit how much we reveal. We have to take it slowly and make sure it's a trustworthy situation. So we're not emotionally abused or emotionally vulnerable. Take it one small step at a time. And then if he proves himself, I mean, it's really impressive that he's asking to go to therapy. That's great. Um, it's a good starting point. You just don't know what's going to happen with that. So um, I thought your advice with that was great. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. And, uh, and thank you for that, Pat. Got an email from Maria in response to Leslie's letter. She writes, Dear Spencer, I've been listening to The Recovery Show for almost two, the whole two years I've been in Al-Anon. It's been a great comfort to me. Thank you for your generous service. I'd like to respond to the letter you received from Leslie and read in episode 175. Her letter touched me deeply. She talked about how her husband stopped drinking but is not working a program in AA. She also spoke of how difficult it is for her and that she is also feeling some guilt. About a year after I began coming to Al-Anon with the help of my higher power and my sponsor, I made the decision to ask my boyfriend of three years to either enter a treatment program or move out. He was sober in AA when we met, but relapsed shortly after we moved in together. He stopped drinking immediately, but didn't enter a treatment or go back to AA. I was so confused. About a week later, I told my sponsor that since he had stopped drinking, maybe I can let him stay. She said, nothing has changed. It started to make sense after that. Alcoholism is a mental, physical, and spiritual disease. I believe that's why, just because the drinking stops, the behavior remains the same unless all three parts are treated. I went back and forth a few times, but I ended up sticking by my decision, and he moved out. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. I struggled with guilt for several months after he moved out. I think a lot of the guilt came from my childhood with an alcoholic mother. I thought it was my job to take care of her, and by extension, I thought it was my job to take care of my alcoholic boyfriend. I discussed my guilt with my sponsor, and she had me write a letter of forgiveness to myself. It occurred to me that the best demand I can make to myself is to practice self-care. In my letter, I listed all the things I was doing to take care of myself, exercising, eating healthy food, practicing gratitude, service work, and working the steps. That was when true healing began for me. Someone in a meeting once said, when we're practicing self-care, we're in the solution. Love, Maria. And and thank you for that, Maria, because like I said above, hearing somebody's story often makes things a lot clearer to me than just sort of thinking about them generally. And I have a friend whose loved one stopped drinking through a different process and with a different support for the spiritual, in particular the spiritual part of, of alcoholism. And my friend was, was really confused and somewhat angry at, for, for a while because it didn't seem like you know, this wasn't the way it was supposed to happen. Um, but what you say here and what your sponsor said, that alcoholism is a mental, physical, and spiritual disease and all three parts need to be treated. And so it may be that somebody is not going to AA, but they're doing something else to get that, that treatment. Um, and that, that can work. Very, very definitely can work. And, and in the case of my friend, it has worked for several years now. But if they just stop drinking and, and don't treat the rest of the disease, then yeah, that's a problem. Got to agree with that. 
Okay, and our friend Carrie left a voicemail also about anger. Hi, Spencer and everybody. This is Carrie from Texas. I just listened to the latest episode and was inspired to call and leave a voicemail. So I'm doing that. Yeah, that topic of anger, that's a really big one for me. So for me, I grew up with, um, it was just me and my mom. I actually learned that there's a difference between anger and rage. And I learned that once at a workshop and um, someone said, um, yeah, there's healthy anger. And I raised my hand and I was like, what? That sounds crazy. (laughs) And so that was really interesting to me. That was the first kind of layer of the onion. And then what helped me really find peace for myself was distinguishing that when I feel angry, it's a feeling that can pass through that I'm not consumed by it. And then that really connected to me as a kid. It, my mother's anger slash rage felt really scary to me and like it would kind of consume me. There was so much fear around it. And so as an adult, I don't want to do that. And so I would like push it down, my anger personally. Like I don't want to do that because that's awful to express anger. And so I'd push it down and then it would come out sideways, like come out when I really didn't want it to. And then that would scare me. Like, this is not something I want to be doing. Why am I exhibiting this? So really distinguishing that if I'm feeling anger, that it's not all of me, that I'm still, there's still so many parts to me. And then also it reminds me of when I really started practicing just observing myself and that kind of the same thing that, you know, I have different emotions that come and that, and just identifying it when it's happening. Like it's a little bit of a separation, I guess, maybe a little bit of detaching so that I can observe myself. And, you know, I, I notice that my body gets really tense and I feel really hot and I, and I feel like I have to act. I feel like I have to, I don't, but that's a feeling. And that, um, you know, I really need to remove myself and ideally, if I can, you know, get outside because that's space. Um, I can ground better um, when I'm outside. I just need time to cool off and to process, you know, taking a pause um, if I need to be in communication with somebody, just kind of excuse myself you know, let's talk about this later or, yeah, just somehow politely excuse myself. And, and it can take me, you know, minutes to days, honestly, to, for, my, for me to get clear on where, how I feel about, you know, that certain thing. And also with anger, when I look back, because I'm coming up on two years um, in Al-Anon, when I look back, it really, what has helped so much is Al-Anon and for me yoga because yoga is a place for me to meet myself however I am that day. Sometimes it's really fun and sometimes it's really tender. You know, I feel like I might, you know, tears are close or, you know, wherever I might be. Um, And it's, you know, like self-care and all of it. So with time, you know, just kind of plugging away, going to as many meetings as I can, listening to this podcast, using all the tools that I have, um, texting with my Al-Anon friends, you know, staying in contact, um, regular contact with my sponsor, um, working my steps. 
it just has lifted. Um, I just am not, you know, as quick to get angry anymore. And for so for all those newcomers, that sounds so evasive, I think, you know, or it did to me. Like, that sounds really good, but I don't know if I can get that, you know. I feel confident that I could almost promise, you know, that, you know, it works if we work it. Um, and being gentle with ourselves, you know, if we can't always get to meetings, you know, for a couple of weeks, it's okay. Just know where the meetings are and that we'll get there, you know, we'll get back to them as soon as we can. Those are the things I think is, you know, just being aware of it and gentle with myself around it. And I guess it's also the word curious too. So yeah, I hope that helps and I'm really looking forward to the episode because you know, there's I would I would say the word shame is really big. Also as a woman, I can't speak <laughs> what it's like for men, but um as a woman, it feels really maybe like taboo, unacceptable, unattractive, un you know, really not not what women kind of quote unquote should be doing. You know, asserting our opinion, being angry, that kind of thing. So there, that I think is also an important part of it. And then, you know, that anger can also serve us. That, you know, it's like if I if I notice like, whoa, that's I'm feeling, you know, angry right now. Okay, let me pause, let me figure out why. But you know, it's like a it's information, so it can be really helpful and serve us as well. So that's what I wanted to share about anger. I also wanted to share something really cool that happened to me around the Recovery Show podcast. I met this really sweet, beautiful woman. Um, she's from out of state. She's in our town visiting. We started texting, and we were going to go to a meeting, and I just couldn't make it that day. I just wasn't feeling up for it for various reasons, and so I let her know, and she sweetly said in the text, there's this great podcast I know called The Recovery Show, and that was the first time that's happened to me that someone else has um, suggested or you know told me about The Recovery Show. I've probably told, I don't know, 50 to 100 people about it, but um, that was so cool. I was so excited. Yeah, that was just a neat moment. Yeah, I'm just really feeling grateful for this podcast. I really am so grateful. It's one of my favorite tools, and I got a new phone, and I accidentally deleted podcasts from it. I don't even know how I did that, but um, so I was without it for maybe two weeks, and I did not like that. <laughs> Because I've listened to all of them. I started at one and made my way up. Um, I recorded a couple with um, Spencer, which was really, really, a really cool process for me. And now sometimes I just go back um, and listen to topics that are kind of up for me at that time. So, yeah, thank you. And the holidays are coming. So sending everybody a lot of love and light around that. Okay. Take care. Take care. Bye. I want to thank everybody who wrote who's contributing, and who's going to contribute. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses that run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Greg did, and and thank you so much, Greg, for your contribution. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, 
direct them to therecoveryshow.com or just listening to us. We are here for you. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. Understanding love and peace growing you one day at a time.